Welcome to Live from Plato's Cave. I am Mario Veen. This is episode 36, The Natural Contract with Aldo Houtemann. In Plato's allegory of the cave, the prisoners in the cave are in kind of a social contract. They speak to each other, they react to the shadows, they play shadow games, but they don't have a conscious relationship to, for instance, the cave wall or the fire behind them, let alone to the sun outside at the surface. So they're in a social contract, but they don't have a natural contract. In Michel Serre's book, The Natural Contract, he opens with a painting by Goya of two dualists who are fighting each other with swords. But these dualists are in a deep swamp, and the more they fight, the more they sink into the mud, until they can't fight anymore, and both perish. So, in this case, the mud becomes their common enemy. In conversations, in arguments, in debates, we tend to focus on three elements. The first two elements are the opponents, the debaters, the two opposing viewpoints. So in Goya's paintings, these are the dualists, and often these are the only two elements that we focus on. But a third element is what Serre calls their mutual friend. So in order to engage in any discussion or conversation or debate or even a fight, there need to be some common language, some rules, some laws. You cannot win an argument with someone if you don't speak the same language. And Serre points out that even wars start with a declaration of war, which is also a kind of contract. So the third element are the kinds of rules that we spoke about in episode 25, about conversation analysis with Mike Huiskes, patterns of who gets to speak when, and what kind of things they are allowed to say, what the kind of things make sense, and which words or sentences or topics are taboo. Or you can think of the law, like in previous episode with Jessica den Outer. Who gets to build what where? Who has the right to speak in court? Who does not? But all of these elements, all of these networks, they constitute our social contract. The way humans speak together, the way we solve things or don't solve things, the way we engage in social interaction, the way we build our societies. And traditionally, these three elements are the only ones that count in our society, in politics, in law, and even in science. For instance, we speak about human rights as if human is the only thing that counts. So, Serre points out that there's a fourth conversation partner, which he calls the mutual enemy. That's the mud in Goya's painting. And this mud is not just a stage on which they fight, but it's part of the fight itself. Imagine you're walking together with someone and you're having a good conversation and you're walking in the forest and suddenly there's a thunderstorm. You can't understand each other anymore. Maybe you have to shift your priorities. So since we are at war with the world itself, and we have been for several decades, that's a fight that we cannot win. And that's why we also need to have kind of <laughs> peace with the world and a contract with the world, which is a natural contract. Our mountain guide today is Aldo Houtemann. Aldo teaches medical ethics and philosophy at the Amsterdam University Medical Center and is doing his PhD at the Esprit Center for Sports, Integrity and Transition at the Erasmus University in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. His book, We Are Our Body, is about the meaning of the body, sports and movement for human existence. 
this time we're not sitting in kind of a fishbowl in a cafe in Rotterdam, but I'm sitting in a hotel in Maastricht. And where are you? Yeah, I'm at home in Amsterdam. So we're talking over Zoom. Previous time that we talked, you recommended me to read the book, The Natural Contract. And I'm very happy to discuss it with you. Mm -hmm. I have to say it's overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask why it's overwhelming? Maybe some, some hints for the listener. All right. Yeah. Well, first of all, the book was written in 1990, but it could have just have been written this year. Mm -hmm. about the climate crisis and about our relationship to nature, our relationship to each other. Mm. Um, that's one part. The other part is that I've just like, I've just read half of, of the book in the last day. Mm -hmm. And in, in the previous two months, I've just been reading the first 30 pages because there, there are so many ideas in there yeah. and every idea that you find connects to many other things that at least I'm working on. Oh, great. But there's a lot of philosophers and they kind of tell you their system. Mm -hmm. uh, they invite you into their world and you have to kind of know their system, but you stay kind of, you have to come to their world. Yeah. With Sir, I have the feeling that he's coming into my world, mm -hmm. the world of my everyday life, the world of my professional life. And he's mm -hmm. explaining my world to me and he's saying, well, actually, This is how you can see that. And this is how you can see that. So it yeah. means that, that if I'm reading a page, I'm reading two sentences and I'm thinking about them for like two days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's very overwhelming. Oh, great. So about your points. So the second point, indeed, I, I'd like to think of Sarah as a sort of experimental philosopher. So he's, he's developing ideas. He's not completely working them, them out, but there are a lot of ideas in his work that you can pick up and you can work, work, uh, work out for yourself. And about the first point, so that it is written in 1990, right? So that is, uh, that, yeah, that is already so early. So about, uh, about climate change and about laws of nature. Um, yeah, so so this can also be a bit of disappointing because we have already this book yeah. <laughs> for 30 years and, and it hasn't changed much in the climate politics. Yeah, so you see some influences and, and but yeah, the, the problems are now even more bigger, far bigger uh, than, than 30 years. 30, 33 years ago. So, but, but that's, so there's a lot of, um, so I read an interview with Sarah yesterday. So it's in his interview book, Pantopi. And so why he was writing the book. Uh, so he, uh, that, that's, that's maybe interesting to explain because he was asked by the yeah, French government actually in the 1980s to be a representative at the G7 of France or the Parti uh, yeah, the Socialist Party in France to say something and to discuss with other countries in the G7 about climate and the world. Um, so, uh, and, and, and one of his um, ideas there was when, when, discussion, uh, when discussing with, for example, Japan or Russia or China, for example, it wasn't... A, yeah, it was uh, very difficult to find a common moral or a common ethics between the countries to, to deal with the world. So uh, there are a lot of, uh, so he says that there that um, how you sh should think about individuality or collect uh, or or what are collectives that, that differs very much 
from which, which country you are. So he was uh, thinking, yeah, so moral wouldn't work here, but we have to find a sort of uh, law or a, or a contract so b between the countries. So that, uh, that is why he, he began to study law and he, he was taking courses law uh, again. And uh, so with the students, he was, uh, yeah, so sort of, trying to get a grip on what can we think, how can we think about law? What is it, what law does and what is, what, how can we think about laws of nature? And, and also an interesting quote that he gives that he had, that he had a, um, a dinner with Boutros, Boutros Ghali in, uh, so he, that was the former secretary general of the United Nations. And before he was uh, secretary general, uh, he met Sarah uh, at a restaurant. And uh, so, um, Sarah was asking, so you have representatives uh, at the United Nations from all uh, kinds of countries, from Brazil, from Japan, for example. But I, I have a feeling uh, what he's going to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are the representatives of the earth, or of, of yeah. the fire, of the air, and of life, for example? And yeah, he said, so that's not what the United Nations about are about. So it's it's in, it's international, but. Yeah, so uh, that was a bit of disappointment for Ser, and and that was what uh, what he was trying to discuss also to to make it more global in, instead of international. Yeah, that's that's a good point to emphasize because that gives listeners an idea of kind of the essence of the book is that yeah, uh, you, the United Nations. Well, now of course we have the climate conferences, but there it was also very early with with the Kyoto Protocol and everything. So you can see a room full of government leaders. And we know this image, right? So there's the image of the government leaders, the, the people in power in the world. They're sitting inside and they're talking amongst each other. And they're talking about what can we do to kind of survive on, on the world. But there is no, uh, the trees are not there. The lakes are not there. The, um, yeah, the, there, no, there is no one speaking up for um uh, for the animals or for the yeah yeah so and that that really this topic really then fits in his uh, his line of thought so so he's all so he wrote already a book on water for example uh in, in 1977 uh michel serre so about turbulence and of and of the flux of water and he also wrote a book on fire on the yeah, so on the thermodynamics, for example, so that that was really so. It's not only a natural science perspective, but also a sort of philosophical perspective uh, of writing about the elements, for example, and that they really uh, yeah take part into our thinking, into our conduct, for example. So how we deal with material, uh, and how should we think of objects, for example. So that is a so in his. Uh, work in the 1960s and 70s there's a lot of reflection on how uh, yeah on scientific models for example of uh, yeah how should we model a kind of object and how can we think of a kind of objects and so normally it's the the object is is thought of as a solid body so that we can grasp for example and so but he he gives counter examples so for example like a river or, or a flame, for example, so that, that we can study these as objects, but they're not prototypical objects. So you have not only solid objects, but you have only also liquids, for example, you have gases. And, and uh, so we have to think about these also as objects. So when we think about objects, not only as graspable, but 
and and yeah, but also as overwhelming, for example. Uh, and so that, that there's a really philosophy of objectivity in his in his work, and 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 for him, the, the, this is far more interesting than the yeah. So what he what he know from France and from Paris is that the philosophy of, of subjectivity, right? So that that it is uh, the uh, uh, philosophy of existence, for example. So that that the the world is grounded in our experience, for example. But 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 in Serre, you find it. A uh, really good reflection, a broad reflection on on technical objects, on objects of nature. So the, the idea of a contract of nature really fits into his work, I would, hmm. uh, I would say. Yeah. And again, just the topic of water. Uh, did you happen to watch the news or a news yesterday? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because there was a big topic about water. Because in the Netherlands. Um, there's a big problem with water. Well, there are many big, many problems with water because um, uh, it's very polluted. Uh, and the, the news item was about that we're not going to make the the EU objectives for clean water. Mm. Uh, and one of the things is that um, basically we're uh, polluting and poisoning our water because uh, a lot of our drinking water comes from rivers. But mm-hmm. uh, factories are also poisoning the rivers. So mm-hmm. then the the water companies have to filter the water. And before they only had to filter it once uh, or twice. Now they have to already filter it four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a big problem because on the one hand we have uh, water can be like... Um, so Sarah has this image where, you know, the, sometimes you're having a conversation amongst each other, but the world... Mm-hmm can make itself heard in such a way that any conversation becomes impossible. So we already had some floods like in in, in Limburg and Germany, um, which just completely disrupt society. But at the same time, uh, we're also now worried about droughts and we're seeing already in Spain and in France. So the water is on the one hand, uh, there's too much water or too little, or Mm. the water is uh, polluted. uh, Mm. And add into that, that we are also like a seafaring nation <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, the oceans are heating up, uh, which is also, yeah. Yeah. so it's very interesting to think about what is this water. And obviously, I mean, if there's one thing we can say is that the way that we are relating to water, our yeah. contract with water is at the moment not uh, helping. And it's in in such a way that it's threatening our very existence as a country, at least in the Netherlands. Yeah. All right. So interesting. Yeah. So also, I had I had to think of uh, uh, René Ten Bos book Water. So that uh, he also uh, writes about Sarah and that. But but he talks about water also. So how we deal with water is that uh, you have in the modernity, you have, for example, Hugo de Groot. I think so. That he develops the laws of uh, of open sea, so that water is actually a lawless place, uh, except for so the ocean, for example. And then, uh, so yeah, yeah. So it's actually a, yeah, it's kind of anarchistic idea, but it's also uh, <laughs> um, gives us the. Uh, yeah, so the, the possibility to dump, uh, <laughs> so so to pollute it, for example, and and so, and leave it to the rest of what we should do with the water, and also and also to fish out of the water uh, because it is a lawless place. There there is no um, yeah, so the, it can also pollute the water in in in, in that way. Um, 
Yeah, so that, that, that gives us, a, I think, a you know, sort of interesting idea. So that's, that other, on the one hand, uh, yeah, water is lawless. So, um, so it can also be dangerous for people, for example. So we have to build dams, for example, to, yeah, to not get into contact with water uh, very much. But also, so the idea of polluting the same water, right? So that, that we take our things from the water, the fish for, for to eat, for, for example. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And as you know, the, the previous episode, I spoke with uh, Jessica Den Outer, mm-hmm. and she is involved in groups that are trying to make the, the Waddensee in the Netherlands a legal person and make the, mm-hmm. I'm actually, it's actually perfect. I'm in Maastricht because this is where the mass is flowing. Yeah. And uh, so she's trying to make the mass also give rights to the mass, like the mass has the mm-hmm. right to flow. So is this kind of, an example of what Sarah would call a natural contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one. I yeah. So I think sort of giving rights to to nature to non-human uh, persons of law. So I would say that that would be an instance of what Sarah would think of the natural contract. But I think it's more broader than than only that idea. So giving so giving legal status to objects of objects of nature that would really fit beautifully into his contract, and he has a kind of argumentation for that in the ideas of social contracts, for example, that you find in modernity. For example, with thinkers of uh, Hobbes and Rousseau, the um, the nature is suppressed. And so, uh, so it's and and you have also this idea of uh, natural natural law. But then the natural is is uh, supposed to be concerning humans, right? So we have natural rights, for example, by birth or by having reason, for example. But and then the the meaning of natural is is becoming completely humanized or uh, anthropomorph uh, anthropomorphized. Um, but I think there's something more to say about Serre because he is always he, in his book. It's also about science, so it's a reflection of how how can we gather knowledge without polluting, for example, without uh, destroying or destructing the the world. And uh, so the idea of of Serre is that modernity. Um, uh, yeah, so since Descartes and Bacon, for example, nature, yeah, we have to be possess, uh, masters and possess, possessions of nature. And uh, without acknowledging that when we do that, nature is, is transforming itself. So, so we, yeah, so the nature is changing uh, at, the, at the same time when we consider nature as something to be possessed. Uh, so that we can see now, for example, in the global heating, for example, yeah. So that uh, and and uh, um, yeah, and and so that there's something more to say. So it's also about science. How should we gather knowledge? Uh, and 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 Sarah is a philosopher of science, so he's he really thinks we should use knowledge or gather knowledge about nature, about climate, about uh, uh, ecosystems, for example, but without um yeah yeah but without polluting it without uh, destructing it for example yeah. i have one example about in case people are wondering what do you mean science is polluting mm-hmm. um well one example is the healthcare yeah. industry yeah. so uh, obviously the healthcare industry with the with the uh, medication and and the pharmaceutics and everything uh, what they and and the hospitals and the surgeries 
it's it's brilliant because we get to live longer and healthier lives mm -hmm. so it's adding to the health of of people but at the same time uh if the healthcare industry uh, globally would be a country it would be in the top five of most polluting countries mm -hmm. so for instance in the netherlands uh, netherlands the healthcare industry is responsible for uh, about seven percent of co2 emissions so mm -hmm. healthcare is, is a form of science and it, it you know we get knowledge that we can use you know for for our advantage and our society but it's also a big part of the problem because it's uh, what, yeah surgery is one of the most polluting things for the world that you can uh, have mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's uh, that, yeah i understand and 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 i think the third aspect uh, very interesting and important aspect is, uh, is that is in this book so not only the the political law, for example, or uh, political nego negotiation about nature and and the scientific knowledge about nature, but also a sort of physical education that you find in his work. So that 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 is a sort of um, um, yeah, we have lost contact with the world. So that's basically a bit of idea that that you find a lot of places in his work. So that we only are interested in uh, yeah social constructions for example in uh, in logics in uh, in language uh, and in text for example and therefore and and we have gathered ourselves in cities and therefore we have lost we have a sort of a cosmic philosophy so not only uh, between philosophers but uh, between everyone so that that uh, decisions are made about nature in in boardrooms for, uh, for yeah example. one of one of the most brilliant sentences is in the book is the essentials take place indoors and with words instead yeah. of outside and with things absolutely yeah so there so the idea is that negotiation would then take place only in the boardroom for example or in the court but uh, but so the, this idea of physical education that Sarah has is that negotiation always takes place it's also when we yeah, climb mountains, for example. Then we have a sort of negotiation with the with the mountain, and also, uh, yeah, when we yeah when I cycle, for example, at uh, in uh, beneath Amsterdam, then there's also a negotiation between me, me and 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 the wind, for example, and the and the and the yeah uh, the canal. The wind can yeah. help you if the if the wind is in your back. The wind can help you. It's like your yes. friend, and when when it's in the front, it's maybe not your enemy, but maybe it's like your sparring partner, your training, because you get, you know, if you cycle, uh, uh, you, if you ascend the mountain, you also get stronger. So that's what you want, right? You don't want to just go downhill. So it's like this this dialogue with you and the wind, and with you and the and the mountain uh, when yeah. you cycle. Yeah, yeah, and that that is about yeah. So I so, yeah. So it's about. Uh, also, the contract with nature, you would also really think think it in terms of opening up your senses. That's that's uh, so opening up senses to the world, get a grip or how the world is structured, for example, how what kind of patterns and how old the world is or already, for example. So learning to listen, learning to see, listen, learning to feel that would be really important, mainly, mainly the most important uh, um, uh, part of the contract with nature, I think. Yeah, yeah. which connects to uh, Marsha Bjornhout's concept of timefulness, which we also discussed a few times on the podcast. So um, 
so she's a geologist so like but a geologist always goes outside you know to the mountain looking at the rocks and everything but i imagine that a mountain climber also kind of gets an idea of this you know because you relate yourself to, to the mountain but uh, this mountain is so old and so yeah so you get this not just like an idea of course we can say mountains are i don't know this many millions years old but it's a different way if you are actually there you know with the mountain and uh yeah i thought maybe this is a this is a good time uh, before mm -hmm. we go on to bring in some some images because i think there's yeah. several images that we could use and that yeah. share also uses and that kind of expresses different ways of like social contracts and contracts with um nature yeah so um i'll just list the images first and then we can, <laughs> can just mm -hmm. go on so mm -hmm. uh, he opens the book with one image and he kind of closes the book with another so the he opens the book with uh, a painting from goya i think it's called the duelists but i'm not yeah. sure it's two mm -hmm. men who are dueling uh who are fighting together but they're in a in in a swamp so the harder they fight the more they sink into the swamp yeah um so this is the first image the one that he closes the book is the one yeah we just kind of discussed this uh, a group of mountain climbers you know they're packing their gear they're walking to the mountain and first the first stage they can just walk yeah they're a group but they're not connected but when things get more difficult they start to connect each other with cords and they become a climbing party so they're all connected and when it even gets more difficult they also attach their rope to the mountain uh, so there's always you know the, the people are always connected so if one of them falls the other one can hold them but also the mountain holds them as well because if they fall they're connected to the mountain um, the third image also having to do with mountain is also something that was in the news this week about a swiss village uh, uh, in a valley but because of climate change the the glacier has been melting and now there's a huge like how do you say that rock very big one uh, that is uh, yeah about to fall down there's a risk that it falls down and it will crush the village so because of climate change there can be the, the village can be destroyed but actually we don't know when actually we could say when the tipping point will be reached because once the tipping point is reached the 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 yeah the the rock will roll down the mountain there's nothing you can do to stop it and the village uh, will be destroyed and then the 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 fourth and final image is relates to what you just said about going inside and outside mm -hmm. so um jessica is uh, we discussed it in the last episode she was involved in a project in the amstel park uh, because people are trying to find out yeah what okay we want to give nature a voice but how do you do that so they're kind of doing experiments with that and this and this experiment was in the amstel park in amsterdam and there's an image of Jessica in, I don't know what it's called in English, like in Dutch you say toga, like what, mm. yeah, a, a rope, I think, a lawyer mm -hmm. rope or something. Mm -hmm. um, and she, because she's the lawyer of a tree. But the interesting thing is in this image, you see her and the, and the tree and she's kind of, I guess, making the case for the tree. But what's interesting for me about this image is that the normal courtroom images are always inside. And the defendant is there in the court, but because the tree, you cannot take the tree into court, at least without, viol without violating its uh, rights. Um, 
so the the courtroom has to go outside in order to have to be able to have um, a lawsuit with uh, trees involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I have the feeling mm -hmm. that you connect mo because you're interested in sports. Yeah. That you connect mostly to yeah maybe like the the first image with the duelist is kind yeah, of more I'm martial sure. arts. It's, it's also, also boxing, yeah. yeah, boxing, and the yeah. and the, the other image is about the mountain climbers yeah. Uh, yeah. going into there. Yeah, yeah. And so the the first image is the most important. So that's also the cover of the French book. Uh, so the the the, the duelists. Uh, of Goya, and I, I always always thought of it as Cain and Abel from the from the Bible. Yeah. So they, they were the brothers who were fighting uh, against each other because one is one of one of them is jealous, for example. But so the, yeah, here the idea is that so uh, this is a, this is a very yeah it's it's a multi layered image, and also it's very important for Sarah to give a sort of idea what. Uh, how 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 do we model communication or how do we model collectivity, for example? So normally, and that this is also what he uh, sees in, for example, philosophers of Plato and Hegel. So then the the emphasis is uh, between persons is is on dialectics. Uh, so there's one straight line between two persons, for example. And they learn from each other, or, um, and um, so they they uh, uh, yeah they battle, so to say, in each other. Uh, uh, for example, in in Platonic dialogue, uh, that that's what Sarah is always is also um, referring to. That one wins, for example. So one has right and the other not, for example. So then we t so it's not about just it's about it's very uh, unique. Uh, it's only one line. So and and Sarah has this philosophy of the network, so that he develops. And so then you can think about all right. So it's only one line in multi and but but it's the world consists of multiple lines. For example, you can also take the the detour, for example, to have a conversation. Uh, so there's yeah, he really um, universalizes this. So he multiplies these lines between persons, for example. And he thinks that this is really the, the model of dialectics is a, a warlike model of thinking about communication. Um, so actually, when when he introduces this model he's, uh, of dialectics, he's also saying, no, but there's another person as well. So when two people are speaking to each other, when they communicate, there's always they are all, both fighting against a third person, which, according to Sarah, is noise. Uh, so there, for example, we are now um, in communication via the the Zoom channel, for example. So we are both over, trying to overcome or suppress this noise of the of the Zoom channel. So that so we we suppose that the Zoom channel is not there, so that we can speak to each other. And you find this model in this pic this picture of Goya as well. So when uh, the brothers or the two persons are fighting against each other, so they are really it's uni uh, unilinear, really directed about beating the other uh, without um, uh, thinking uh, that are, there are other things that uh, as well. For example, the quicksand. For example, that they that yeah. That when you are in a fight, you you forget the world. We yes. all know these people. Actually, I heard um, 
So uh, I was at breakfast here with with well some colleagues, and one of them was telling, "Well, I was I couldn't sleep because next door to me was a fighting couple." Mm-hmm. So so the couple is fighting and keeping everyone awake, but they're so in their fight they don't realize that they're keeping people up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So so the what Sarah is then saying is that. That, so there, we are really focused about subjectivity on subjects here that are that are fighting against each other, and we we are sort of addicted to the question who is going to win, and thereby forgetting so that the constitution or the process that subjects can even come into being, for example, that they need a world or uh, materiality so to. Uh, uh, to fight at, at uh, yeah to, to be able to fight for example so they they so in their uh, fights they suppress nature their objectivity really so they suppress so they are only directed against each other and they suppress then the, the their their own constituents uh, yeah. yeah and their own horizon for example yeah and so that's then the excluded third according to Sarah. Yeah, and there's also a, a fourth that I, you know, professionally I've been most interested in, which is that if you have a duel, there are also rules. And I mean, this was one of the, so just to finish that thought, so I'm interested in the rules of conversations and dialogue. And mm-hmm. um, uh, even without the, the world, uh, I've been thinking about, uh, okay, so uh, when it comes to climate, you have this graph of the planet heating up and all the climate conferences on there. And the, the, and of course, the, the, the message it, uh, it, it uh, communicates is that the climate conferences we've had like 26 now, I think, or 27, they don't make any difference. So people are talking, as Greta Thunberg says, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Uh, but it doesn't have it's nothing happening. So mm-hmm. one of the things I'm interesting interested in is how can we have conversations? What kind of rules of conversations? What kind of dialogues yeah. would lead to action? Uh, yeah. So this is like so in a duel you have you have rules in in a debate you have rules. And one yeah. of the most fascinating things that he opens the book with is because you mentioned Hobbes already. So Hobbes yeah. has to say, well, the natural state is like war of everyone against yeah. everyone but then Cher says uh, conflict is uh, so conflict is violence plus a contract yeah. so a war is starts with a contract yeah absolutely so it's a it's a common contract um, against nature so then then so it's already filters out some uh, so it's not a war of everyone against everyone so there's uh, so a war that it goes together with a sort of declaration of war. So we are now into fight with each other, for example. And um, and so the, the, this, yeah, uh, according to Serre, this, um, yeah, this, this is already a contract between the dualists. Um, so, and this is one of the, yeah, one of the main constituents of what would later be a law, for example, formalized law. That we suppress certain things to have a, to have a battle or to have a, a certain debate uh, against each other, and so um, yeah, um, so this yeah, so the, 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 there is not so the original state, which is uh, in in is more like uh, in 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 series, not the war war between persons, but like more like a sort of violence against 
the world or something uh, something like like that um and uh, and and the world that we try to suppress uh with that in order to um yeah to win from our uh, uh from our competitor for example yeah. yeah and he also he refers to the you know the battlefield once the war is over the battlefield is destroyed let's say maybe forests are burned down so wars yeah. have a huge impact on on the environment yeah um and actually also um, maybe this is a form of like a twisted natural contract because for instance in afghanistan the the taliban strategically used droughts uh yeah. water shortages in their war um the control of water flow like uh, making a dam and protecting a dam or blowing up a mm. dam so mm. uh the the world and destroying the world is also very much part of wars already and um yeah. Uh, well, in the Netherlands, we have this example where maybe you probably know more about this than me, where they, the Spanish came and they, they flooded the, the water. Yeah. The, yeah. The, so they opened the, the sluizen, the sluizen. Yeah. <laughs> the dikes, yeah. The dikes, but <laughs> the dikes. But so, yeah, this is not yeah. quite what you're saying. What you're saying is more like the... So we have this natural yeah. contract. It's like we... So almost like the couple fighting... Yeah. They're trying to solve something, but they're suppressing actually that they're also disturbing my sleep, which has an impact on, you know, what I have to do the next day or something. But in this yeah. case, it's more like the world. So the healthcare industry is is focusing on the social contract that we have to, uh, you know, keep people healthy and everything like that. But then we kind of forget that there's also a world in which this happens and that uh, this can be very uh, yeah yeah uh, destructive for the world yeah and it's a very difficult argument i think so we 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 feel so personally i feel sympathy for ukraine for ex for example or to patients uh, in your example so that uh, so it's 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 very it's um so the yeah so the the idea that uh, yeah, on focusing on the social contract is a very um, um, yeah, it's a very hard one, I think. So, so, so to include this third person as well, so the world of the objects, I would uh, mm. would say, because then it it seems that you're suppressing, uh, for example, or you take don't take it up for uh, for Ukraine or or Zelensky, for example. And then you're a supporter or a sort of supporter with Putin, for uh, for example. But yeah, uh, yeah, that I think that's a, that's a that's a tough it's a tough argument. So so to also so to to reflect on the social contract that war is uh, because we yeah we have to um, yeah we yeah we think then we sympathize sympathize with the with the enemy. Uh, but it's not sympathizing with the enemy. It's sympathizing with, yeah, uh, with nature, so, so, so to so say. Yeah. One question I have for you is because he opens this book and it's it's very powerful and the idea that uh, actually conflict requires a contract. Mm. Uh, while you could say, well, uh, you know, outside of the social contract, it's war of all against all. And he's saying, no, actually, the, it starts, war starts with the, with the social contract. What I'm wondering is why he uses this. He's emphasizing war and violence and conflict yeah. uh, to explain uh, like the, this, like a contract. 
but he could also have taken, for instance, a marriage contract where you kind of you marry each other and you promise each other loyalty and in sickness and in health. So why doesn't he? So why does he use like the the paradigm of of violence rather than the paradigm of love and marriage? Yeah, great. So that's a great. So um, um, so in his metaphysics or so in this idea of objects, so the um, noise is very very important. So so there's um, so think of that as all. Uh, the second law of thermodynamics is that all sy systems tends to disintegrate, um, and and also about the um, so for example in quantum mechanics it's it's uh, so elements or the quantum fluxes are non-determinate, so um, 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 an agreement or a law for example that would be. An exception to the to the rule that that the world is chaotic for in in, Sarah, in Sarah's terms. It's more it's more the 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 rational the rational contract would be an exception of all sorts of patterns of nature, and uh, patterns always flux, always deviate from their law, and they also have a sort of in themselves a sort of violence. So they make a sort of noises. Um, and um, yeah, so so agreement between yeah different constituents between uh, different objects would be um, yeah would be really uh, an example of uh, an, an exception of what what nature is for for Sarah. So there are a lot of things that wouldn't fall into the category of the rational in, uh, into the category of the observable, for example. And it is far more. So he says. There are only, yeah. There's a vast sea of uh, entropy, uh, and there's only small islands of 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 uh, yeah uh, of the living, for example. Um, so there's a, a vast sea of death also in in this anthropology. So, for example, cities are constituted of of graves, for example. Within yeah, so there's um, yeah. So he thinks may maybe it can be some some. How bit of pessimistic about that uh, sort of primal violence of not only of people but only but also of animals and of things themselves. But uh, but we have the these possibility of law, for example, of getting agreements, and this would turn this violence into a sort of yeah. How would he would say this as negantropy, as a sort of way of symbiosis of living uh, uh, living together. So it's not. So maybe it can be the primal state, but it can also be turned around. So we can have other states as well. Mm. Uh, and, then, and so, for example, we can protect uh, wildlife, for example, um, and not allowing violence to... to, uh, uh, to right, end. so I think yeah. there's something in the... I don't know if this is in the Geneva Conventions or something like that, but I think there is some, some kind of agreement in war that you protect cultural heritage. Yeah. Uh, so... This could be maybe an example of, or there's an, let's say in war, there's also an agreement sometimes about, let's say, passing the war and, and having a humanitarian corridor and uh, the, the Red Cross. So there's yeah. kind of, a, so there's a war of, of two, let's say, nations that want to destroy each other, but at the same time, they also have a contract about, okay, but these, uh, we, we do not torture 
or we we protect uh, an ancient site or we uh, you know it's in our mutual interest that the, that we can take care of the wounded or that we ex exchange let's say prisoners of war yeah yeah so yeah great so in in so the origin of contracts for example is to limit parasitism so there's always parasitism oh yeah so we only also and animals and for example uh, yeah physics parasit uh, parasitizes on uh, uh, on us by by uh, uh, by the second law of thermodynamics, for uh, for example, and uh, um, so what? And and you have so we parasitize on nature by having clothes, for example, eat, eating food, for example. But also uh, nature, par par yeah. So he, he has in other books he has the example of the of farms, for example. Then there's a sort of agreement between the animals of the farm between uh, between the plants and the and the and the people so there's this a sort of common agreement of living together and so that and it's actually to li limit uh, para parasit uh, parasitism according to to Sarah, that one is taking all of it um yeah yeah, the, we don't have to spend time on this because it's a big, big question that is not explicitly in the book. But the reason this interests me, so the, the reason like why do you choose uh, a war uh, as a paradigm rather than, um, uh, for instance, marriage contract, is that for me, uh, um, so a marriage contract is an example. I mean, it, it ideally it's an example of unconditional love where you would say... Um, even if you get sick, even if, you know, if you, <laughs> no matter what happens, I will uh, take care of you. And it's like the, also the kind of the contract between a mother and a child. And if I think about for myself, if I think about my relationship to, to the earth, I mean, I'm mostly, um, there are different ways. Like this is also the question that Sarah says, like we have to learn how to relate to the whole of the earth. And that's something that, that is like a challenge. So how do you, uh, how do you characterize your relationship to the earth? And for me, the most obvious one is mother. So mother earth, because the earth provides for us. It doesn't, uh, it, you know, uh, it takes a lot of our shit like we're in puberty and it's it's understand and everything like that it's very friendly friendly environment um yeah so that's that's why the question interests me yeah yeah interesting so yeah yeah it's always that's uh, also in this book on the parasite so that for example that so the so the unconditional love would be far it would be an exceptional state of nature so so that that would be so for example um, a baby is a parasite of his mother for, or a fetus, for <laughs> okay example. Yeah. yeah yeah so so there is no so the first act is parasitism actually so that's, that's just, right uh, anthropology but but the baby also takes care uh so if we yeah. continue the the thing so the uh, now of course in our society it's a bit different but one of the ways that you have children is that they can take care of you when when you are uh, sick and old but also it gives your uh, life purpose because um so as i shared in in previous episodes like one of the reasons why i'm so busy with with the climate crisis is because i'm thinking about my five-year-old daughter and the world she grows up in so uh, i relate to a world like several generations in the future and that that 
is a different like timefulness and way of relating to the world and to time that that is uh, yeah 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 so i think also we so that that is more one of his optimistic ideas is that we can change from this sort of parasitic uh, behavior to another type all of right behavior. let's talk about that because i'm ready yeah. for some optimistic uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what yeah. so if this so this is the first this is what he this is kind of his diagnosis right this is right now what's going on with the so social contract and and the way we kind of yeah. suppress nature so where does he want us to go what is the because we there we need a, a paradigm shift and yeah. what does this paradigm shift look like yeah so yeah it's it's um so normally in ecology for example you would think of yeah uh, so questions would then be so how would we reduce emission for example or uh, how how do we save the planet? And so this is more like um, Sarah's uh, idea is that so it's we take it more broader and more like a sort of philosophical idea. So how can we think about nature? How is nature changing? Well, we as ourselves is is changing. Um, so he's also asking the question: So why do we pollute, for example? Yeah. So. Um, what do we really want when we dirty the world? So that these are interesting questions that he that he asks in the book, and and who are we actually to to seek to think ecologically? Yeah. So who are who is humanity itself? And that's a very uh, yeah um, uh, yeah that's a very important question in his work. So to think of a sort of humanity. Um, and 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 a sort of humanity that is changing as uh, itself as well, it's changing with the world. So, so his idea is that uh, in the 20th century there are a lot of there. There's a there's a different conception of humanity. So there's a there are a lot of changes going on, um, and this is this transforms our humanity for uh, for him. So the um, idea is that we have left the Neolithic. So the, we have left the farms. So for example, in France, for example, at the beginning uh, in 1900, I think there was almost 80% was, was farmer. And in 2000, it's only 4%. Uh, percent. So we, and, and, and now, so the, there's also a sort of urbanization going on, people leaving the countryside, going, living in cities. Living inside as well, indoors. So we moved from living outdoors to living in yeah, living longer uh, dependent on uh, on medicine, for example. Um, yeah, and and so it's more like so we have lost our uh, yeah contract, so to say, that we had as farmers to the countryside, and that uh, that would also be interesting in the farmers' uh, protest because uh, farmers would indeed say, yeah, uh, why. You, you, you city dwellers, right? So who are you to talk about how to deal with with nature, for example? So you, you, uh, it's actually that um, you didn't want to live with nature anymore. That, that would be an ar argument uh, there. Um, so the ideas of Sarah is that there are. Uh, this is an. This is an. A metamorphosis of humanity. So we have to rethink what uh, what humanity consists of, and th therefore uh, what our relationship is with the with the planet. And another important. Um, so so sorry to pause you, yeah. but if I understand correctly, it means that he's saying that before we didn't really have to think about this because it was in our face. 
So you yeah. know that if you don't take care of your your livestock, you, you're not going to eat. So it's like a yes. mutual de dependency. So you have to make sure that they're kind of healthy and everything. Yeah. But now we didn't have to think about it, but now we have to start to think about yes. that because we changed it. Absolutely. So and then nature was considered as your plot of land, for example. So it's it's it was limited idea of of, of nature, like a garden or yeah, yes, a plot of land. yeah, yeah, yeah. So or yeah, um, or the or the forest in in your neighborhood, for example. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, for example, since 1969, then you have this uh, this picture of the Earth as a sort of marble in into space. Right, so that that really changes our idea of nature. So the nature is then we cannot consider it as a milieu, for example, or as an environment for people to live, or as a sort of horizon, um, or a sort of ground that we take for granted. Uh, but um, but it has become a concrete object. It has become a, a, an object. So that this this marble, the earth, to yeah, uh, that's. Uh, is subject to all kind of behavior, for for example, or to subject to pollution, for example, um, and so not only uh, the space travelers see that, but we have since that ever since that picture and this kind of image, we have all become space travelers in the sense that so we now have a sort of idea what what globality is, right? So that that we live on a on the same planet, for example, and that we have to, um, yeah, to manage to to synchronize our lifestyle to 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 that planet, and uh, so that so the Sers uh, some, somewhat provokingly he always says so now the idea of nature is coming up, right? So that's that after that we know that that the Earth is in crisis, for example. So then you see an an idea, so we have. We have to um, have laws that that or, or a sort of co contract that works globally. Right. Uh, so so that relate to the planet as a whole. So one of the things yeah. in the rights of nature movement is saying that. So even narrowing it down. So there are laws for specific parts of the river, and I'm responsible for this part. And yes. I, so I'm a factory, and I can pollute the river. Yeah. But you're actually uh, downstream. Too bad for you. And also the drinking water companies. So the same. So we're dividing the river in two parts. One in which we can put poison in the river, and yeah. the other part in which we drink the river. Yeah. And yeah. Um, in the rights of late nature uh, movement, they're they're saying, well, but the 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 river is a whole, one holistic entity. But Jessica also said, yes, but mm -hmm. this is not the, this is not, this is a good step, but this is not the solution. So we can fight for the rights of the Wadensee and the rights of the Maas but, and, and the Veluwe. But mm -hmm. what you really need, and I think this is in Ecuador happening, is like a recognition of the rights of the planet as a whole. Mm -hmm. So not just the chopping things up in parts and dividing them, yeah. But relating to a holistic entity of which we are also part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Yeah, that that's so. The, yeah, the planet as a whole, so as a globalized humanity. That's how Sarah frames it, right? So that that we are part of a uh, yeah, sort of also a partnership with the world. So that humanity that is sort of a partner with uh, yeah, um, and that and both react to each other. So that that's. Um, that's the idea and 
And so the law, therefore, the contract of nature shouldn't parasite on the on the planet, for example. So it should limit the parasitism on, of the planet. But with but before we have law, there are a lot of other things of um, yeah w ways of thinking about collectivity and collective action um, that concerns the planet. So, for example, he has this idea of the court, for example, right in in mountain climbing. So that the law uh, is actually yeah. so. With, uh, so, for example, that is is, is um, um, the message of mountain climbing is that we are can only climb uh, dependent, and we are dependent on the on the courts that is uh, that is relating us to to, to each other. Yeah, if it's uh, you could, to some extent you can climb alone, but when things get very mm -hmm. difficult, you need this climbing party. And what what fascinates me about this is that he's saying, mm -hmm. well, maybe the court was the first, let's say, tool, and mm -hmm. he's relating also court to attachment yes. and attachment to co contract. Yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, um, uh, so I'm really interested in Bernard Stiegler. I don't know if mm -hmm. is Stiegler mm -hmm. related to Sarah. I can ask Daniel Ross because we're having another episode. Uh -huh. But Stiegler is really focusing on uh, the flint was the first um, uh, kind of the first tool. So Sorry. the flint, like a, a, like a, a stain bell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, like a... a like a sharp object, like a knife uh, of a stone. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's fascinating. That's one of the ideas that are, I, I am like exploring is like, what does it mean if you say what uh, the, the you, for instance, Heidegger uses always the hammer. If, if you think about an example, paradigmatic example of a tool, you think about the hammer, but the hammer is there to smash things kind of do violence, right? Yeah. Exert force. But what if you think about um, the paradigmatic example of a court like a court that connects mountain climbers a court that can make a gate a court can do many different things that that uh, a hammer cannot do yeah yeah so yeah this is also has to do with Sarah's philosophy of technology uh, technology and it's a reaction to uh, so sort of pragmatic idea of that technology serves as a, pra a pragmatic tool for as as an extension of organs for example like the hammer for a fist and then the and the knife for for um, uh, for our teeth, for example. Yeah. Well, that's very close to Stigler as well. That uh, uh, technology is an extension of our yeah. uh, humanity in a way, and we are also technological beings from the very yeah. start. Yeah, but Sarah has an, uh, yeah. So he takes this into account, and he says this is very important in understanding technology. But he is also interested in a sort of neutral technology. So, for example, uh, yeah, th that would be that technology is become independence of subject. Uh, so for example, yeah, he, he mentions the uh, uh, nuclear bomb, for example, but also, um, yeah, also the internet, for example. So they, their technology, yeah, once started with extensions of human organs, but it's, it has an independent uh, development of itself. And this is what he calls exo-Darwinism. So the, the Darwinism is not between species anymore, but, but, but between technological objects. And so they, they have a sort of competition of what, uh, uh, yeah, what kind of uh, object we take into account and what, what, what kind of object we use. But he said it's never... Um, so he's not always pessimistic about this, but, but because he thinks of the laptop and the, and the mobile phone as a sort of 
objects that you can not use for one particular job, for example, cutting or, or hammering, but you can use it for everything. So you can use it for making music, uh, texting. Um, and this is also relates, I think, to the court. So that's, that is also a court is something, it's a technological object that you can use for multiple things. And, and there, therefore, we should really think how can we use these kind of technological objects for yeah, limiting parasitism, for example, or connecting uh, each other to uh, to each other and towards the world. So, um, and this is kind of a sort of optimistic idea I think, that you that you find also in this tech, in this uh, yeah um, yeah way of thinking about technology. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I I heard it in a commercial somewhere. There's like you have so one of the things that we need to do is we need to rewild uh, nature, re rewild gardens, for instance. So one of the things that anyone can do if they want to contribute to um, the solution for the climate crisis is if you have a garden, kind of rewild it, uh, also for the bees and everything. So um, uh, you have the like the, the lawn, like a field, it's like it's only grass, there's nothing else on there. Uh, that's, you know, we, we think this is aesthetically very beautiful, but it's also a kind of a contract with nature where you say only one species has the right to exist and not the others. But now you have this and, and you have these automatic lawn mowers, like robot mowers. Mm -hmm. I don't know, mm -hmm. but you could say uh, from a technological perspective, oh, these are maybe like the example of how automatically nature is being suppressed and technology is do doing violence to nature. But now you have this lawnmower and you can program it that it, for instance, keeps 19% of the, of the lawn wild. <laughs> so it's advertised in a way that you can say, well, you know, uh, we, are, we now know it's important for insects and bees and other plants to go there. So, but we also acknowledge that you kind of want your children to play on the lawn. So maybe this is kind of like a codification of, of, uh, a natural contract where you say, well, we, you mourn the loan automatically, but you also make sure that there are space for nature to exist kind of in yeah. its own right. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> a funny example. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. but I, I don't mean to get you off track because we were talking yeah. about, yeah, yeah, what is, what does he look, what is the solution yeah. and what is the, yeah, the, the, why, why is this mountain climbing party? so important to him yeah. and also how do you because you also have a different entry point from the perspective of sports philosophy mm -hmm. so how do you see this uh, mountain climbing party from your yeah perspective? yeah it's so it was very important so to say say things about sports so Sarah was a mountain climber himself and so uh, really so it was also from uh, the Dutch government and so uh, institution uh, uh, is what is the value of sports, for example. Yeah, normally it's, it's it has an economic value or it's, it's a value for health, for example. And nowadays, and also with the colleagues I'm working on, it's also is sort of getting ideas or opening up the senses, for <laughs> for example, and getting into contact with with nature. These are um, yeah, so not in policy, these are um, taken into account of, but for example, um, yeah, with the, in the theories that I read and that I discussed with my colleagues, it's coming more and more important. So that's also sport is a way of um, 
yeah, reprogramming, reprogramming our contract with nature. So rewriting the, our contract with nature. Uh, and this is a bit of idealistic, but we, I think this is, there's really some, uh, some truth to, uh, to that so that we learn, um, yeah, how to deal with complex situation. We learn to, how to deal with, with uh, dissolution, with destruction, for example. We, we learn how to deal with violence within sports. Um, and with a sort of, yeah, also with a sort of kind of sort of freedom. So it's not only, so we have to, uh, we, our conduct is determined by a certain law, so we have to follow a certain law, but within developing techniques, so for example, uh, yeah, um, holding the ball, for example, or passing or grasping the, the rock, uh, you develop certain techniques and there's also a sort of freedom, uh, so element of freedom in, um, yeah, dealing with the world. So, so a lot of, uh, what I think interesting is in Sarah here is also that that climate policy uh, is not only uh, law-like. So it's so, so so it's not only that we should uh, that the laws becoming more and more strict and that we that we should follow them. So in certain cases that would that would certainly be needed. Uh, but he also says so of this line that. You, it's not. It's not always the contract is not always a straight line. It uh, also has curves into it, for example. And, um, yeah, it can also be loose. This this kind of uh, bond that we have, uh, for example, that, that gives us some kind of space to uh, to improvise, and that always also is yeah is uh, improvising on the yeah what the pl planet itself is doing, what the, what the data the, themselves say. So there's there's also there's always a kind of renegotiation with the planet, kind of yeah. rewriting, reprogramming our contact with the with the planet. And in this case, I see some uh, some interesting, uh, yeah, relationships with sports and phys physical education. Um, yeah, for example, but yeah, that depends also on your what your view on sports is. So, so Formula One would be <laughs> would be in. Um, yeah, would be in a problematic case of sports. Yeah. There, but, or uh, going, going uh, like fitness because you you're going yeah. indoors. Yeah, uh, nature is excluded, and you're training with weights that you can also you can say, well, I'm today I'm lifting fifty kilo. Yeah. While if you are, I don't know what what would be an equivalent of yeah, mountain climbing, of course, yeah. rock climbing especially. Um, yeah, you need to do if if. If you need to hold, you need to hold. I mean, you're not going to let go. So mm -hmm. one time you need a lot of strength. Another time you need a lot of agility. Yeah. Uh, but you also have... So one connection I make is also you need... Mountain climbing is very creative because mm -hmm. there are always different pathways you can go. So yeah. it's not only uh, like a sport. You try to make the conditions very rigid and controlled. So yeah. you can compete with each other because you have to be... So uh, the, the, the equivalent would be a climbing wall. So yes. in a climbing wall, you place the, the, the holds, the footholds and the handholds in certain patterns because you want to see who can best climb this wall. But yes. when, you're, when you have a mountain, there are no, you know, you decide where, where the climbing wall, the, the holds are. Um, but at the same time, the mountain also decides like maybe, okay, maybe you take this hold and you lift your weight on it and, the, and it breaks. <laughs> 
Uh, and of course, in a in a climbing gym, you don't want that because yeah. all. The, you, but also, when I'm climbing in a gym, I know I can I can hang on this hold because it it will never break. But yeah. when I'm outside climbing, I have to always test that kind of have a dialogue. So rather than just putting my weight fully onto this hold, I always test it first and I look a little bit. So that's kind of more. Yeah. A dialogue. So, yeah. yeah, this is also his view of the body, right? So that's that's his his aim is not to develop or to uh, to um, uh, to imitate one particular image of the body. So, for example, the the muscled body that we know from the statues, for example, that we yeah, so that that would be the the, the ideal, uh, uh, like yeah, yeah, image, the gym yeah. or the fitness uh, ideal. But it's more like that's variations, right? So so sometimes we have to do that, but other times we have to really taste, for example, or feel each other before we can fight or before we can. Um, so so his idea is then then that of metamorphosis, yeah? so that we learn different kinds of of dealing with nature, dealing with each other, for example. So sometimes listening, other times fighting, other times. Uh, yeah, so that is, uh, yeah, developing the the variational skills of our body, for example. Mm. So there is not one prototype. So and that is also coming. So we are not farmers anymore. So that that is also with his societal view comes into develop. So our bodies become de-differentiated. So we, they are not skilled for a certain type of labor, for example, but, um, uh, but uh, yeah, so he gives also always the example of the hand that you can play piano with, for example, but you can beat someone, you can give someone a hand. So yeah. there's not a certain, uh, it's not an organ directed at a sort of certain task, but we have to, find these tasks themselves and develop multiple ways of dealing with uh, a body in, in according to nature. Yeah. So it seems to relate as well to um, Gert Pista's uh, mm -hmm. philosophy of education in, in a previous episode, uh, I interviewed him and he uses the, so his, his book is also called world centered education. Mm -hmm. And he also talks about, um, the goal of education is not to, you know, we are going to write down all the skills and knowledge, what you need, and that's it. And we fix it. And if you have that knowledge, you can function because that's like, okay, that's the idea of how to function in society and be a productive citizen and, and all that. But he's using the language of, no, we, uh, once you finish your education, the world can make an appeal on you mm -hmm. and the world also comes comes in uninvited and unex unexpected absolutely and how yeah. do you how do you respond to that and yeah. that's a different focus because you you cannot decide in advance uh, well especially in the context of climate education is so very important because we don't know uh, the 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 students now we don't know what the world is going to ask from them absolutely yeah yeah great so great example so is this is also Sarah's, uh, I think, idea of education that you have to, to to learn to deal with noise, with complexities, with detours, with deviations, so uh, unexpected situ situations, and that that uh, concerns far more than uh, <laughs> than uh, uh, than only learning one sport, for example. But uh, yeah, so transforming uh, your senses in, in in that sense, and 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 learning how to um to be responsive to to a kind of state yeah that's that the world now has yeah 
so in the previous episode, I, I did a little intro about justice and Plato, where, you know, the prisoner goes out from the cave. We could say like he's dragged upwards, so not by a cord, but he's kind of climbing upwards as well. But then he descends back into the cave as well. And then Plato kind of describes what is it like for someone who ha have been there, have a different vision, have maybe also have a connection with nature. I'm just interpreting uh, and coming back into society again. And then he says it's very strange for this person if this person has to defend themselves in court because they have seen kind of the true form, the true idea of justice. But the, the judge and the other lawyers, they have only seen the shadows of justice. So um, in, in the previous episode, we were also speaking about, okay, what uh, for sure rights of nature would be part of, of this truer form of justice because our current conception of justice is limited to human rights animals rights children's rights and all that stuff but so we're in nature also need, the natural contract also yeah. needs to be involved in that so i'm wondering could you explain like what so uh, if socrates would ask share so what is justice according to but <laughs> do you know what what he kind of would his answer consist yeah. of so yeah, the short answer is sort of con uh, yeah connection, right? So that is connection with the world and with other people. Uh, so that that wouldn't be uh, yeah inscribed in a certain 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 law, but uh, yeah, and then so limit this, this par uh, parasitism. But so he, he is yeah in his book he, he in the contract of nature he has a sort of reflection on 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 justice as well. So for example he relates to Aristotle, and then there Aristotle considers justice as a sort of uh, as a balance or as an equilibrium. Uh, so for example between the person and the cosmos, for example. Yeah. Um, so this is like a. A two-way street. A scale, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but in order to have that skill, so yeah. if uh, in slavery, there mm -hmm. was parasitism of human beings on other human beings yeah. because these other human beings were not recognized as subjects at all. Not legal, not if, yeah, legal subjects as well, but they were just considered objects. Yeah. Uh, so I guess he's saying that in order to have this justice and two-way street, that yeah. means also this uh, this other factor also needs to be a subject or a... yes absolutely kind of uh, yeah yeah but also so and then he's talking about Leibniz's idea of justice uh, so Leibniz's idea of uh, balance so the, and then it's more like the statistics of the variables so then then that uh, that is taking into account all kinds of sort of varieties. So not only of persons, but also of nature, for example, of technology. Um, and uh, and this implies also a sort of, sort of stability that is always moving, right? So that's taking into account constantly rewriting our courts with, with others. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's then the idea. So that the, the balance is not certainly there. It's not a sort of equilibrium, but it's sort of like flowing together with others, right? So how can we flow with others that other, so for example, uh, ecosystems remain to have a certain amount of freedom in their development, for example. Uh, so this is more like a dynamic perspective or more like a fluent yeah, turbulent perspective on, on, on justice, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah. So you keep coming back to this, what you said before as well, that 
like in, in climate justice and, cli and climate law, we don't need like just rigid laws, but, yeah. but, and it relates very much to something that Jessica wrote in her book as well. Uh, so she's busy with trying to make the, the Wadasee, Wadasee a legal mm -hmm. person. Uh, but she's emphasizing that so one of the concerns that people have is that, for instance, the Wadasee can sue, I don't know, Shell or somebody. Yeah. Uh, but she's saying, and actually this is a very martial arts kind of thing to say, where you say you learn martial arts not in order to start go getting into fights, but actually to avoid getting into fights. So one of the important things about rights of nature is not that it, that we're going to have all these lawsuits, but actually that there will be dialogues and mediation and uh, like round tables and conversation partners. Yeah, and then, yeah. of course, you also have as a last resort, you also have the courtroom, but it's not the the final purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say the courtroom would be the final case, but also, and then the boardrooms, but uh, it's, yeah, so uh, along down the pyramid, would I would say there's also a bit of our conduct, right? So this is also a negotiate, uh, negotiation with nature. And so there the contract is already taking form. So for example, uh, farmers that are plowing, for example, uh, or are harrowing, so they are inscribing uh, their con con conduct into the planet. Yeah, this is already signing the planning, so signing the, the natural contract. Um, so these are, yeah, so prototypical stages uh, for, yeah, get an idea of what a natural contract would be. And therefore, physical education would be very important. Yeah? So uh, what kind of technologies do we use? How do we use them? What kind of variations? Uh, and there's also a way of um, yeah, being non-dependent on certain sources, for example, like the gas industry or the, the oil industry, for example, but finding a way of dissipating energy ourselves, right? So uh, other ways of yeah variations, uh, yeah, yeah, and and also developing then therefore a certain freedom into into that, uh, yeah. So finally, um, I thought I yeah I want. One insight, I want to share one insight and read a little bit from yeah. Sarah, because I think, you know, we should let him speak as well. And then uh, I'll give you the final word to, you know, say whatever you want to uh, mm -hmm. say uh, in closing. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the insights is because, so I'm writing a book about Plato's cave and I, I'm also using the Odyssey there. And, and mm -hmm. the Odyssey is, is a story written by Homer in which Odysseus goes to uh, fight the, uh, you know, Trojan war, but then he uh, he leaves his house. They go in a ship, and they come back. And and after the war, but actually many things happen, and it takes them a long time to get back. Um, and and the Odyssey is about all the adventures of Odysseus. Yes. But then he comes back after seven years. But then you know someone is sitting in his chairs. Uh, you know some uh, someone married his wife and everything. So it's like nice for Plato's cave because you you go somewhere and you come back but you're not recognized anymore yeah. and how to yeah. deal with that and the other famous greek story is the iliad i don't know how to pronounce it in english i think the iliad yeah, the iliad yeah which is about the trojan war war and it's like how the fighting it's it centers a, a lot on achilles and mm -hmm. achilles is fighting but also achilles has a tent because there's a camp and uh, uh you know achilles can go to war but then he also can also come back into a stand to sit there and to reflect. So my insight was about uh, when Sarah says, 
he says somewhere in the beginning of the book already, being there is getting rarer. And he's saying, you know, on this ship, you have um, uh, people on the ship know that you you need all these strict rules because if you're fighting together, the ship is going to sink. But yes. at the same time, you don't have it. He literally says you don't have a place to pitch your tent. So mm. you don't have a place for a reflection, I, I, how I make it and, and mindfulness and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, that's one insight. And I just so now I just read the part which is towards the end of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, if the mountain finally turns out to be difficult, appallingly tough, then the contract itself takes on a different function. It no longer binds just the mountaineers amongst themselves, but in addition anchors itself to the rock face at specific strong points. The group finds itself bound and submitted not only to itself, but to the objective world. The python is an appeal to the strength of the cliff, which must be tested before any bond can be made to depend on it. A natural contract joins the social contract. These craft casting off, so he's talking about vessels, boats, yes. spacecrafts, and rogue parties. They represent the sum of relations that groups must have with the world. When the world, for those who have cast off, is a dangerous one. What relations do these crafts in turn maintain with law? Yeah, great. It's beautiful. And so, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I have to say something after, sir. <laughs> yeah, so um, the relation with the uh, Odyssey, Odyssey is very... Uh, so he takes the Odyssey um, as a sort of metaphor also with dealing with uh, so not so a lot of philosophy would be based on a, on getting a certain ground so a, a kind of fundamental for our conduct so uh, kind of founding right so looking for a kind of founding for our behavior or for what we should do or for what moral law should be follow for example so that is not so uh, Sarah's metaphor of seafaring and of mountain climbing is to reevaluate this kind of philosophy. So there is actually no ground. It's a kind of anti-foundationalist philosophy. You, you can pick everything as a, as a sort of ground. So that, that is very hard to, to find a sort of foundation for our conduct, for example. And that, uh, that, that, that can also change. So what, what, for example, the foundation of our conduct was hundred years ago, it was the plot of the land that we had, for example. Now it's becoming the earth. So, um, but the earth is always also not one, just one single point. It's, it consists of mul multiple layers, multiple developments taking uh, into place. And so uh, this idea of this image of casting off, so from the land to the sea, for example, which is, uh, with, and, and not being anchored, um, is also, yeah, uh, would also lead, for example, for Sarah to a certain reflection that we don't know what the future will be, that it is improbable, and that we, yeah, but we should deal with, with the planet and the, so the spaceship Earth, so to say, uh, and with, with each other in finding conducts um, to fare, to, to see fair, <laughs> actually, uh, and to find our way into, into that. So without having an idea of what would be the best to do here or what would be wrong to do here, but, but that is all, there's always a negotiation and depending on how, how the court is, is being tied to, to the 
specific objects uh, yeah that we deal with i hope this is a bit of clarification it, it's becoming very clear yeah thank you so much because i think this is such an important book and i hope uh, our talk also mainly uh, makes people want to read the book it's maybe a little bit challenging if you don't have a background in philosophy, but there are also like a lot of stories in there, a lot of images. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think we, uh, you and I can agree <laughs> that uh, I have a contract that we uh, advise people to read this book, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's also literal. It's beautifully written and it combines the natural sciences with, with law, with, uh, with social contracts. Well, thank you so much.